Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from The Message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, please do open them, get that ready. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. Rarely do I read a chunk of scripture. I kind of reference it as I go along, but this morning I thought I'd give you a chunk to start off. Yes, there you go. So Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared, for, uh, cared what the people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And the Lord, and will not, the, will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will, find, will, he find the, uh, will he find faith on the earth? Sorry, I just showed you my reading age there, which is about seven and a half. Uh, Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, continues to teach. It's interesting that the closer to Jerusalem he gets, the less kind of stories of the miracles we're getting and the more stories of teaching that we're getting, teaching increasingly as he goes along. There is a lot for him to share. There's a lot for him to impart to these disciples. If they're going to be the people that inherit the kingdom of God and see the church birthed and continue to grow and populate the earth, then there is so much for them to learn, so much for them to pick up. And so teaching increases as we journey towards Jerusalem. Here, Jesus teaches them a parable. And I love it when you get a parable in the scriptures where it's all laid out for you. You know exactly what the purpose and the point is. There's no need to dig into the Greek, the, the finer meanings of the Greek, or get into the kind of research behind the cultural relevancies to what is displayed. There's no point looking to find the key that opens the secret to the mystery of this parable. It's there for us. It's laid out in verse, chapter, in verse 1 of the chapter. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they were to always pray and not give up. A simple parable. Who to? His disciples. To show them two things. That they should always pray. Second thing, not give up. And in the parable, we're introduced to a judge, a despicable judge. He is a disgrace to his profession. He's an abomination to God. And I've heard that his mom is fuming. She's so disappointed in him. He's such a letdown. The standard for a judge in Jewish society was incredibly high. This is what King Jehoshaphat said to his judges when he appointed them in 2 Chronicles 19. It says this, Consider carefully what you do because you're not judging for mere mortals but for the Lord who is with you whenever you give a verdict now let the fear of the Lord be on you 
judge carefully. For with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. This is the word to the judge. Judges are not merely judging for mortals, not judging for mankind, but judging on behalf of God. They've got to take it seriously. But our judge, we're told, doesn't care for God. He doesn't have a fear of the Lord like these judges are supposed to hold. In fact, it means he probably has no faith whatsoever. He doesn't believe in a God, and therefore he doesn't care what God might think. He's a nasty piece of work. He just wants an easy life, and I bet he would take a bribe. I bet he is partial. He does show partiality. I bet he has a certain way of doing things that everybody's kind of used to, and to get his favor, you've probably got to give him a load of money. He is no good. I've been to court a few times, quite a few times, in fact, and I've kind of had a mixture of different experiences. Adoption court is phenomenal. They are the nicest, kindest judges you will find anywhere. They smile when you come in. They let you wear the wig. You can sit on his chair. You can bash the hammer. You can, like, have a, you can have a photograph with him and all that stuff, or her, that is. And, and it's a really lovely experience. But I've also, also experienced the opposite. I've been to court a number of times with people in my community. Sometimes I've stood with them as defendants. Sometimes I've stood with them as victims. We've seen some incredible things happen. I'd love to have loads more time. And I could tell you a couple of the miracle stories that happened when God intervened and we saw sort of miraculous things happen in the courts. But I've also had occasions where it's kind of all gone wrong. I went to one, uh, one court occasion with a young person from my community who had been the victim in something quite horrible and despicable within my neighbourhood. Um, she is uh, a young person who is uh, a very vulnerable young person. She also has some additional needs. And these really weren't being considered in the court. And you can imagine that I was really struggling with that. And, and, and the defence like, latched on to the fact that she was vulnerable and really preyed on her. And inside, I'm already, there's a problem. Because I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to contain the feelings of injustice that are being displayed in front of me. And at one point, they showed a, a, a photograph from Google, Google Maps. And it was an old Google Maps of part of my neighborhood, which showed a street that um, this girl said she'd walked down and out of the other end of, which seemed to be impossible. With the photograph they showed, it, there was no way through. But I knew that this was an old photograph and that my neighbourhood had changed, that a street had been knocked down, it was levelled, it was wasteland. So the direction of travel this girl took was exactly as she'd said. But they were making her out to be a liar and I just couldn't cope. And so I, I like stood to my feet and I said, this photograph is wrong. There is a way. In fact, there is a way where there seems no way. Um, and uh, yes, it, yes. And, uh, and then I was told to sit down and to be quiet by the judge. But inside I'm like, raging I'm, I can't cope and they continue to press this girl and, and absolutely hammer this girl about what's going on and I just I really was struggling to cope and they they just pushed her and pushed her and pushed her and as they again went in on this this same kind of point I stood up again and I said this is wrong judge you have to do something 
And the judge said, sit down or I will have you removed. And I'm like, I just can't cope with the injustice that's going on there. I can't imagine how it would feel to be a vulnerable person in a court having to fight for justice when people around you just simply don't care. I got a little flavor of it in that moment. But in this case, this is what is going on in the parable. There is a widow and she's fighting for justice. We've got no idea what she's faced. Within the Jewish society, I just know this, that that widows were considered to be the most powerless, the most defenseless, the weakest of society. She's had a hard life. Her husband has died. And the fact that she's defending herself tells you that she either has no sons or that her sons just don't care. She stands in the court alone, powerless to be able to do anything about it. She is super, super vulnerable. Later on in chapter 20 that we'll get to in around 2029, we're going to learn about the warnings that Jesus gives against some sort of religious leaders and Pharisees. One of the things he says that is terrible about them comes in verse 47. It says, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. That these, the religious elite These are the top of their profession. They love to pray long and lengthy prayers, but they devour the houses of widows. And I reckon this is what Jesus is referring to. When he tells a story about a widow in court fighting for justice, it's probably because some dominant male, some religious leader has come and taken what is hers. The inheritance that would have been for her and her family. Now she has no family. Someone's thought, well, I'll take it. I'll have it. It's mine. A house has been devoured. A house has been taken from her. And now she finds herself in court wanting to do something about it. But she has got nothing to bribe the judge with. She's got nothing that he would want. Nothing that would appeal to him whatsoever. She has no respect. She has no honor. No power. All she can do is persistently bring her claim to the despicable judge and just keep on going until she irritates him so much that he'll do something about it. To start with, he simply doesn't care. And for a while, he just ignores her. And then eventually, the irritating lady gets her way and her complaining gets to his heart. And because he's so self, self-centered, he kind of says, well, I'll have an easier life if I just gave her what she wants and then she's done. Moral of the story, be like the widow. Pester God until you get what you want. No, that isn't what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is pointing us to do is something far greater. He wants to point us to something far richer, information about his father. He says, my father is not like the judge. My father loves the people. My God listens to the people. My God, my father, has a soft spot for the broken and for the vulnerable, for the powerless and the defenseless. As soon as you mention widows, all the verses from the Old Testament should come sweeping in. Psalm 68. 5 says father to the fatherless protector of the widow is God in his holy habitants Psalms 146 verse 9 the Lord watches over sojourners he upholds widows and the fatherless but the way of the wicked brings to uh, he brings to ruin 
Time after time, you'll see Jesus, uh, see God described in Scripture as being for the widow and for the orphan. Leave the fatherless children, and I will keep them alive. And let the widows trust in me. We have an awesome God who looks after the weakened for the powerless. So Jesus presses on. Listen to what the unjudged, unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He says, will not God do better? Will not God do greater than any judge? Will he not call the widow the chosen? Will he not call the one that is described as forsaken, described as powerless and weak? Will he not identify her as the chosen one? It's beautiful. Will he not bring justice when she cries out? Will he not bring justice when we cry out? Jesus says, will he keep putting them off? Is he like the judge that just said, go away, go away? Our God never says, go away. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. God, our God, doesn't delay. He doesn't ignore. He doesn't overlook. He doesn't refuse to act. Our God works out justice quickly when we cry out to him. We have to trust. And therefore, we persist in prayer. We keep praying even when we have nothing, even when we feel like we're abandoned, even when we feel like we're alone, even when we're powerless to fix whatever might be in front of us. We keep going with, you know, we keep praying. We keep hoping. Don't stop. It's such a good reminder because our temptation is often just to fire up a prayer, hoping that God will hear it. And then we just kind of think, oh man, I can't believe he didn't respond. Push on in prayer. God hears. God loves. Know that God is willing and is able. Know that God will act on our behalf. But you know what? Whenever people talk about prayer and the God who answers prayer, I'm always sat with this sort of niggling feeling that I'm not naive. I know that you might be listening this morning thinking you are facing the reality of unanswered prayer, a life where you've been praying consistently and you don't feel like God has heard you and you don't feel like he's responded quickly as Jesus has said. I don't want to deny the reality that many of you are facing. We cry out for God's help. We continue to persistently ask for him to ask, uh, act. But sometimes it feels like we don't see the breakthrough that we want. I've been praying for justice for my mate who is currently in a prison in, in Tehran. I've been praying now persistently for years and have no news and have no evidence of God acting. I lived for, for a decade with unanswered prayer about being a dad, living with infertility. I prayed persistently, daily, monthly, yearly, over a decade. And I can't tell you that God gave me what I was asking him for. And I'm sure you have things too. Maybe I haven't done the day and night praying, persistent praying that this passage mentions but I've prayed persistently. I have prayed consistently. And I sometimes feel like it's gone without answer. So how do we recon reconcile these two responses? We're told there's a God who hears. There's a God who moves quickly to answer us. 
And then we have the reality of the long, slow wait for the answer. Well, we've got a couple of options to try and work out how those things come together. We can sort of create rules for ourselves where we blame ourselves or we blame other people. We missed a day of praying, so God sort of takes us back to the start. Well, you missed a day, that's not the continuity I'm looking for, so start again at zero days. Maybe our persistence isn't enough. Maybe we didn't pray hard enough. You know, my, my kind of one-minute prayer wasn't enough for God because he, 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 he likes the marathon prayers like Andy talks about, those who will like forsake hours upon hours to be with him. Maybe it's those guys that get the, the breakthrough. Maybe we didn't pray right. I didn't use the right words in the right way. Maybe we didn't pray with enough faith. That's the obvious one. When people try and pastorally care for you, I've had it, maybe you just need to increase your faith a bit. Great, thanks. That's most helpful. Or maybe we blame God and we say his word is false and he doesn't answer and he doesn't fulfill his promises and maybe he doesn't care like the scriptures tell us he cares. Or maybe he just likes to keep us waiting. And I'm not sure that's true. Or we can put rules in place about the type of people who get their prayers answered. The ones that are holy. Maybe I'm just not holy enough. Maybe I'm just too sinful because Jesus knows the state of my heart, knows that often there's other stuff going on that distracts me from praying and so maybe I'm undeserving. But Jesus addresses this. If we jump to the next parable from verse 9, Jesus addresses this. He talks about two guys that go to a temple to pray and one of them is a Pharisee, a religious leader who's convinced of his own righteousness, of his own worthiness. He fasts twice a week. He gives a tenth of his earnings away. He's obviously a regular church goer. And he thanks God for his own worthiness. He says this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And as he says it, he takes a glance to the back of the synagogue, to the back of the temple, and there's a guy he knows is a tax collector. I'm confident he felt his prayers would be heard and answered. He's the type of guy that deserves to have what he wants because he's doing everything right. And at the same time as he prays, the guy at the back is crying out to God. He is a tax collector and he knows what he is. He's the most hated, the most reviled man, considered a traitor, a robber, an extorter, and a thief, an evildoer, and a sinner. But he would not, this is what it says, but he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, and all he could say is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all his prayer is. It's short, it's real short, and it just identifies his desperation and his need of God. And Jesus tells us, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's your upside-down kingdom piece, where Jesus lifts up the weak and the broken and the hurt and the desperate. 
And those thing people who think they've got it all sorted will be brought low. It's not the self-righteous that get heard, but it's the honest who fall before God in desperation. And let's just connect the two, the widow and the tax collector. Both are powerless. Both have nothing. Both can do nothing to save themselves. Both in need of mercy. I can do nothing myself. The only rule of the kingdom seems to be that God helps the helpless. You know, society says God helps those who help themselves. It's exactly the opposite of what the Bible tells us. God helps those who can't help themselves. God hears those who are helpless. God helps those who are powerless. And this is what we see in evidence here. God answers those who come desperate. And if Jesus says that God answers then I believe his words. That I believe that whenever we cry out to him, he answers. We have to take his teaching seriously. This is not Jesus scamming us. Jesus does not deceive us. In Luke 11, we'll read those amazing, famous verses. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Those who ask will receive. There's no doubt there. There's no kind of a caveat. There's no descriptor of all that you have to be. Those who seek, if you're a seeker, you will find. And those who knock upon the door will be answered. Again, the implication seems to be that if you keep on asking, if you keep on seeking, if you keep on knocking, then you will be answered. And I believe it. I believe it. I believe that God is about answering his people. When we come to him desperate, when we come to him powerless, he will answer us. So how do I reconcile it? Well, the answer comes later on in Luke 11. If then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus promises us that our prayers will be answered. Jesus tells us that we have a good and generous Father, and he answers our prayers. How? By gifting us the Holy Spirit. The answer to you today, when you're desperate in the need of God to step in and do something, is the Holy Spirit. He will provide. He always provides. Our good Father gives us his best. But his answer isn't always what we're looking for. You'll hear people say, God, you know, always answers. It's either a yes, no, or a wait. And I get all that. I've heard it. But it's even better than yes, no, or wait. It's always yes. And it's always yes with his Holy Spirit. It's whether his Holy Spirit is enough for us. When we're desperate, when we need him to step in and act on our behalf, are we content with God giving us his Holy Spirit? Let me just remind you what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God. He gives us himself. He gives us the best of himself. He gives us his presence in the midst of pain and suffering and difficult, difficulty and hardship. God's response, God's answer to our plea, our desperate plea, is to give us himself. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And you might cry out, but God, I wanted a baby. Or God, I wanted my mate to get out of prison. And God says, let me give you my Holy Spirit because it's actually better. It's actually better. 
And I know it doesn't feel like that when you're desperate and you're crying out. But actually when God delivers his Holy Spirit, it's the best he could come up with. God's presence with us. That connects us to Christ. That connects us to the Father. That keeps changing our circumstances. The Holy Spirit brings love. This is the fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Gentleness and self-control. God's answer is incredible. But is God's answer enough? Love in the place of hatred. Joy in the place of sorrow. Peace in the place of chaos. Patience in the place of pain. Kindness in the place of cruelty. Goodness in the place of wickedness. Faithfulness in the place of betrayal. Gentleness in the place of brutality. Self-control in the places where the world feels out of control. Do you see how the power of the Holy Spirit within you will be game-changing to your circumstances? But the question is, is that going to be enough when you're just desperate to hold a baby in your arms? Or to see the problem that you're facing go away. Will the Holy Spirit be enough for you? I was reading about um, Richard Rembrandt, who was uh, 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 persecuted for his faith in Romania by by, um, um, some Romanians. And uh, I can't remember. Communist is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Uh, uh, But he says of his time in prison, he said... He's never seen jubilant joy displayed anywhere apart from in the Bible, in the underground church, or in prison. The joy of God, the true joy of God, he's only ever seen the joy of God displayed in the place of utter hardship and difficulty. God answers us. God answers our cries for help, our cries for justice, our cries of desperation each and every day. But we've got to turn our attention to how God delivers. Yes, he can do the miraculous where we see circumstances change in an instant and we would have never really expected it. But in every situation, God, who is a great and glorious and generous father, pours out his Holy Spirit into our life and says, here, you're suffering, receive joy. Here, you're suffering. Know my peace. Here, suffering. Feel my love. All these things for me are game-changing. But the question for you this morning, will it be enough? Is God's presence through his Holy Spirit enough for us this morning? Will it satisfy your needs? When you're desperate, when you're broken, when you're hurting, Will the power of God be enough for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I know my words are limited in describing your generosity and explaining the way that you work. But Lord, I ask now that your Holy Spirit would be poured out in this place, that your presence would be made known to us. Would you transform our situations and our suffering, our difficulty and our hardship where we feel powerless to be able to do anything about it? Lord, would your power be enough? Would your presence be enough for us? Lord, we thank you that you hear us. We thank you that our our prayers don't fall on deaf ears. Our prayers don't go to a judge who is uncaring, 
indifferent. But they are received by a good and generous Heavenly Father. Thank you that you hear us, Lord. Give us confidence that our, our voice is heard as we cry out to you. And Lord, give us confidence of your answered prayer. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>